right, hang on just a second. I gotta. All right, yeah. Oh, ready. Good evening. It is Sunday uh, afternoon, late afternoon, night, and uh, this is Richard Mann and my good friend Jack Early. We're going to run down the Flow Wrestling Dake Chimizo card from Saturday night. Jack, how you doing? Hey, I'm good, Richard. Good to be here. All right. So, uh, you know, just I guess off the top, what were your initial impressions of the show? I mean, we waited a long time for it. There were some hiccups. Uh, just, you know, general takeaways right off the bat. Yeah, I don't know. It was... It was a bit rough. I mean, it was, I think it was a total of, it, it's five by six, but then one of the matches ended early. So it was a total of something like 27 minutes of wrestling and the show took two and a half hours, which is not what you want to see. But I mean, the, the actual matches were, were very good. Yeah, I think they were trying to, uh, you know, amp up the production value and make yeah. it a little fancier than your average wrestling show. Um, and in some ways it worked. I mean, the fact that the stream dropped for so long in the middle, that was a big negative, uh, obviously. And then they told everyone to come back at 1019 and it started before 1019. So that was also a negative. Yeah. Um, but I mean, as far as the production value with the intro videos and stuff, I think that's fine. It mm -hmm. just seemed extra yeah. long because of the breaks. Right. Yeah, yeah that, that definitely is an issue. I think wrestling kind of promotions have is getting the matches and getting the event to last long enough where it feels like it's a whole show. I, re I remember Agon would do three minute rounds. They did, I think it was three, three minute rounds so with a minute in between. So the matches took like 10 minutes. Um, but I, I thought this was nice, just regular matches. And then you have, you know, it's like when, when a UFC show on, on FS1, they'd, or on ESPN now when there's a finish or whatever, they just show extra highlights. Uh, and, and hopefully that's something they fix with the, the stream dropping. Yeah, I would be open to the extra period and doing three threes. Um, I don't mm -hmm. know if the wrestlers would like that for much, but I yeah. think, yeah, I mean, it is kind of, you do a lot of build and then you have all this promotion, you have a 10 minute video introducing the match and then it's, you know, a six minute match with breaks and it, it does mm -hmm. kind of seem to be unbalanced. So maybe they could come up with some ideas outside of uh, changing the actual structure of the match. But anyway, let's go ahead and jump in. So the first match that started out was Vito Araju versus Sammy Alvarez. Um, I thought that Vito was pretty much going to run through this match, and ultimately he did. He did get the match termination, I believe, but uh, it was a little tougher. Um, Alvarez hit a sort of a chest wrap leg elevator thing for four, um, and then after a challenge failed, he got five points on the board. But Vito ultimately turned it on in the second period and ended up taking uh, 16 five is the final score. Yeah. It like, like you, I thought Fido was going to have a, a fairly easy time with it. Uh, we, we were somebody else and I were arguing online, uh, Austin early. I think he's at air early on Twitter. We were arguing about whether it was two or four and in the video, you can't see if Fido's knees are on the ground or if he's up there, they're in the air when Alvarez hit the move. But I mean, he, 
he really seemed to slow down and it seemed like Fidel kind of kind of figured out how to stop that one move and then he was pretty much set smooth sailing the rest of the way yeah because in the second period he went for it again and mm-hmm. uh Vito was ready for it and he actually turned it into his yeah. own four uh, on it being two versus four I do kind of get what you're saying because he was he was in like a front headlock position and he went to spin behind and it did appear from one angle that his knees were down but then he was kind of on his way up so it was kind of right to yeah tell. yeah I know what you mean um I mean, I think that Vito's best style is freestyle. I think he's looked solid in folk style mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, I, I'm not not a guy I think is going to make the Olympic team, but I think we saw at the senior nationals that he can knock off some guys that a lot of people have ranked ahead of him in their mind. Uh, so it would be interesting to see, you know, once the trials kicks around, if he's able to make some noise there. Yeah, definitely. He's He seems to be still getting better, which is cool to see because he's been – you know, on some of the age level teams and stuff. He's he's had a lot of freestyle experience already, but he's still making strides. All right. So the next match that uh, we're gonna talk about was Jack Mueller versus Roman Bravo Young. This took place at 137 pounds. And I have to say that this was, in my opinion, perhaps the most shocking result of the night. I mean, I think Roman Bravo Young is a very good wrestler. Uh, he's very athletic and he has sort of a natural aptitude. He's you know, clearly is getting a lot of refinement in the Penn State room, and that really showed here. Uh, Mueller, in folk style, really likes to, you know, ride on top and throw legs in, but in freestyle, he's, you know, shown a propensity to sort of score those freestyle turns, and Robert Young took him completely out of his game and ended up taking this match, I believe, eight to one was the final score. And, I mean, I don't think Mueller really got close to anything. Uh, Bravo Young was able to score from his own leg attacks, and he was also able to score off Mueller's leg attacks, and he was able to get turns from the top. So it was a very complete performance for Bravo Young, and uh, like I said, one that surprised me. What was your take on this one? Yeah, pretty similar. I was surprised at how cleanly Bravo Young was able to finish uh, and how quickly he was able to get his reattacks going. Where From the start of the match, he was – I think I think it was Bravo Young's shot where he scored at the start, and then the rest of the matches Mueller trying to chase and just kind of walking himself into reattacks. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of people will probably make a lot out of the fact that you know he put his arm behind his back yeah. both arms this time. Yeah, um, we've seen him do that before against DeSanto. I think, I mean, I think knowing what you're good at and knowing what you struggle with is a key element of wrestling mm-hmm. or basically any sport. And I think it may look bad. But knowing that you get, you know, slowed down and struggle in those ties and you want to avoid them, I think is a, a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I do think it's kind of showmanship that he's now kind of known for it because I don't think Mueller was even really going for the, that outside wrist or, you know, the upper uh, claw hold, really. So it was funny, but uh, I don't hate it as much as most people, I guess, is my point. Yeah, I guess whenever there's I, – I think – most people, if they didn't pick Mueller, thought it would be pretty competitive, and it it really wasn't. So you kind of question how much of this is Bravo Young doing great, and how much of it is Mueller doing badly. Uh, and I'm not sure what the answer is, but I I'm inclined to say it's more Bravo Young doing well, and he he looked really sharp with his reattacks. Um, it it, it might have just been kind of a the, the match script where once he gets the lead. It's tough for Mueller to come back on him, but I thought he looked really good. Yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you on the point that it's 
I think Robbie Young clearly has made strides. You know, last year we saw him beating guys. He beat him previously. Um, I just wasn't ready to see that on the freestyle mat. And I think that, you know, the strides that he's making in folk style for Penn State are now translating to freestyle. And I think that's very, very impressive. All right. So this next match was uh, very interesting. Luke Fletcher uh, just graduated from Ohio State, taking on Darian Caldwell, an old school NC State guy who currently fights MMA for Bellator. He's a former champion there. This match originally was Luke Fletcher versus um, Anthony Ashnall. So I think it's kind of funny that the guy who probably is more famous and is the MMA champion kind of guy is the late replacement, but I guess that's neither here nor there. Um, Caldwell came out and he had a lot of movement. He was in and out. He was getting to legs, kind of. And I think a lot of people, myself included, were kind of surprised that he looked as good as he did. But at the same time, I think the way Fletcher was shutting down his attacks and then getting to his reattacks, to me, my initial impression watching it was, well, Caldwell's not going to be able to keep up this pace and he's going to guess. And Fletcher is eventually going to turn those into offense. And I think that's pretty much what happened. Um, Caldwell got on the board first. He was able to generate some offense and force a scramble. And then he kind of shot Fletcher off the mat. And uh, the commentator from Flo said shooting someone off the mat was a freestyle savvy maneuver, which I thought was funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, after that, it was just Fletcher getting to his reattacks and scoring that way. And there was a big four pointer at the end, which made it look, um, you know, more of a blowout. I believe the final score was 9 2, but it was probably closer to 5 2 before that desperation move. Yeah, it was. It, it felt like the match Pletcher wanted to be in from the start, where he did, re did a really good job of coming forward, but in good position. And Caldwell, I think, especially with not as much experience in a, a pure wrestling setting, he was always kind of a sniper, you know, where he'd, he'd be all the way out and then he comes all the way in and not, not battling in the ties as much. And I think without, you know, eight years away, without hand fighting every day, he's he was almost entirely going to shoot from space. And so Pletcher just coming forward with his hands and his head low made it really tough for, for Caldwell to really get anything going. Absolutely. Um, do you think that this was... I think, well, let me back up. I think Fletcher looked a lot better in this match than he did in his previous match against Lugo. Yeah. Are we, are we assigning that to Fletcher, you know, getting his training back in order, or is that just a stylistic matchup? Because I think that the, the challenges that Caldwell presented are very different than the challenges mm -hmm. that Lugo presented, but I still think that it was a better-looking Fletcher. Yeah, I think it's it – it is a much better matchup for him because – Fletcher's good at kind of pushing in and letting you get yourself out of position uh, instead of, you know, physically moving the guy, getting him out of position, which doesn't work as well against Lugo. But it, it did seem like he was, he was a lot more dialed in. Where in, the, in the last match, the first, uh, I mean, the, the first period seemed like didn't go well for him at all. In this one, even though the score was close, it felt like he was completely on top of things. Yeah, like I was saying, from the get-go, it looked like this is more of a pleasure style match, mm -hmm. and it turned out to be that way. All right, so we talked about that match changing with Anthony Ashnall dropping off. This match here, the co-main event, was originally supposed to be uh, Pat Downey taking on David yeah. Taylor. As I said in my intermat preview, I think I said Pat Downey tweeted himself into a match and then out of a match, as only he could do. Um, so Miles Martin stepped in on short notice, and I think 
I didn't really give Martin a lot of chance in this match. I actually got some flack from some people online for, you know, saying he wasn't even that highly regarded domestically. Uh, I was wrong, but that's not going to go there. But, I mean, at the end of the day, Taylor was way too much for him. He was basically able to get to his legs at will. He wasn't even setting up shots. He was just immediately, boom, on a leg off the whistle every time. Um, you know, I think at this point, David Taylor's just on another level from guys like Miles Martin, who, like I said, I maybe underestimated him, but, you know, he's a guy who beat Daringer like, recently. So, clearly, um, I think this says more about how far from the field David Taylor is from everybody else. Yeah, I, I actually kind of overrated Martin, where I didn't think it would be quite as one-sided. I thought, you know, Miles might get to a leg at one point. I thought... Taylor wouldn't just easily win each and every exchange, but I mean, Taylor was clearly just a step ahead of him, a step better than him every second of the match. And then yeah. it was, it, it was a little weird how he, I mean, he was just shooting in without a great setup and then he would just easily finish. And I was surprised Miles wasn't able to defend a little better, but I mean, I mean, David Taylor does it to everybody in the world. There's, there's definitely something to it. Right. And I guess, I mean, at this point, we have to basically assume he's going to be the rep at 86 kilograms. Right. And I think, you know, he showed previously that he's one of the best wrestlers in the world at that weight. But at the same time, even when he was sort of not getting the international results or he was locked out of the team by Jaden Cox, he still looked like this right. against guys at this level. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I would like to get a better gauge of where he's at coming off injury, but I just don't think that, like, matches against these guys, or even if it was Downey. Yeah. I mean, I think mm -hmm. the result would have been the same, yeah. if not worse, against Downey. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's been some chatter online about him taking on Sitikov, or, or no, sorry, that was Dave for Sitikov, but uh, Sajulayev. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see it. I don't think we will, but it, right. I think that that would be a very interesting test. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a tribute to a guy who's just gone up and up in weight. I mean, Sajalaya would be a whole other level. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it is interesting how Taylor, like, when he wins, it's always dominant. Right? Like, it's, it's like he, he, he gets somebody figured out, and then he'll just hit the same shot five times and put him away. Right. So, yeah, I guess matches like this aren't always a good measuring stick for him. But he, he definitely looked good. He looked completely recovered from his knee injury. Um. And uh, I, I guess I'm wondering how you see, like, what, what you take away from this for Miles. Is this really a sign for concern at all? Is this just whatever everyone knows to Taylor? So it's actually – so it's very interesting that you say that because what, what you said about Taylor, which is when he wins, he wins big. And then you talk about Miles. For, I've always kind of thought that when Miles loses, he looks bad. Like when he's when he's up against a guy that he does not have an angle to victory or a clear path to victory, he can really get blown out. I mean, right. When he yeah. wrestled Zahid in freestyle, those matches weren't mm -hmm. close. And if you look at their careers, freestyle and in college, they seem semi comparable, but the matches were never really close. Right. Um, so you know, like I said, maybe that sort of skews my view of him because he does have a lot of strong results in college and in freestyle, and I think that he does have a good future in freestyle. I just think that David Taylor's on another level. And, yeah, you know, sense. maybe it's something that he needs to work on where he needs to, you know, get that mindset and be like, yeah, I'm up against it. Yeah, this guy's one of the best in the world, but I'm going to make it a dogfight and not get, mm -hmm. you know, blown out. Yeah. 
I don't want to question the guy's mental, you know, approach and I'm not an armchair psychologist, but uh, I do think that, and I mean, like I said, he's one of the best in the world, but it looked like after like the third takedown, David Taylor was just diving at him. Yeah. Like he wasn't doing any, he wasn't like faking, he wasn't juking, he was just diving at him on the whistle. So yeah, easy for me to say, I guess. It, it is tough when you're, I mean, his last two years of college, I guess apart from Nickel, he was just killing everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, n- nobody was close. And so it's, you know, he, he spent all his time, you know, how do I figure out these, these really stiff guys? You know, how do I get them to open up so I can score more points on them? And suddenly it's, they, how do I be the one to slow things down? How do I limit the offense? And that, that can be a hard adjustment probably. But no, I mean, he's still young. I think he's got a ways to go. Yeah. And once we get out of the Olympic cycle and get split back up into more weights, I mean, 97 in a non-Olympic year is like a whole gang of guys, Kevin Gadsden and Kyle Snyder. So, I mean, if he goes 86 or he goes 97, there's room for him to excel in a more extended field. Yeah. And I guess what, 92 would be there too, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, we have reached the main event, Kyle Dake versus Frank Chimizo. Um, the match got started off slowly, as you might expect with these two. Chimizo took a 1-0 lead on a shot clock point. Uh, Dake then created a scramble with a pretty nifty ankle pick attempt. He didn't get close to the takedown, but he kind of pushed forward after that and got a step out along the edge. Um, after that, the next score, Chimizo sort of shot a head outside single, and Dake went to a crotch lift. Chimizo stepped over the crotch lift for two, and they both kind of were locked in at the same time. Dake had Chimizo up in the air, didn't really get the exposure or score, but he eventually was able to earn a one-point reversal. And once he got on top, he was able to get a high gut wrench, and that put him up 4-3, and he took the match 4-3. Chimizo was in on a single at the end of the match. He was able to get in, get to his feet, elevate the leg, time ran out. I think that maybe Dake had already shut it down because there was so limited time. Um, I think a lot of people going into this match expected it to be close, expected it to be tight. It was. I'm not really sure what we can take away with this other than these are two other contenders at 74. Yeah, I think I probably didn't give Chimizo enough credit for – so basically I thought, well, Chimizo's a wizard when guys attack low on his legs. He, his problem is going to be when guys get to his hips and get to his body, and that, that's what Dake is great at. Uh, but I didn't give Chimizo enough credit for funneling guys towards those low ankle attacks where he's probably the best in the world defensively. Or when, when guys go to an underhook, go to his body, he's able to pull them up to his shoulder area. Uh, and I think I didn't realize how difficult it would be for Dake to establish the, the ties and the positions he wanted. I've seen some people say, you know, that Dake, even though he won, didn't look as dominant as he had in some of his previous outings, and that doesn't really bode well for um, his looming showdown with Jordan Burroughs. I'm more of the other side of it in that I think – that um, I think that Chimizo is just a puzzle for anyone who wrestles them. Yeah. And I, I did think that Dick would have success, you know, getting to mm-hmm. the hips or getting to the upper body. And I was impressed that Chimizo prevented that. Uh, on the other hand, I think that, you know, sort of he won four to three, but his only points were from a step out, a reversal, and a turn. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't get that gut wrench, if they're like a couple feet more out of bounds, he loses that match. Right. So, um, 
it's going to be the same thing against Burroughs. He gave up points in those crotch lock situations yeah. um, the last time he wrestled Burroughs, and he's got to score his own offense because someone like Jordan Burroughs is not going to present opportunities mm-hmm. to score. And I think that, you know, against high-level comp- competitors sometimes, Dake gets into these slow defensive matchups, and I think that the way Burroughs wrestles now in his career, that plays into his stuff. Yeah. So, um but, I mean, you know, I mean, I think I, I'm kind of coming off negative on Dake. I mean, it was a very impressive performance. Shimizu is a world champion. It was, uh, you know, he, he pulled it out. But uh, I think a lot of people thought just because of the, that the event was built around Dake, he's out there talking about dirt and whatever. And, uh, you know, Shimizu is known to not really be at his best outside of world championship time. I thought a lot of people thought this was going to be a blowout. And, you know, he won, but it was close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess the, the positives I'll say about Dake is, as you said, Shimizu's a puzzle. And, I mean, we saw Burroughs progressively get better over the course of their matches, where Burroughs, it seemed like, had an easier and easier time getting to Chimizo's legs and not letting Chimizo get to him uh, and, you know, figuring out, okay, what, what, what is Chimizo giving me? What, you know, can I, can I push him out here? Can I get his other leg here? Uh, and, and if Dake is able to make some of those adjustments – uh, you know, there's there's more room for him to grow, for him to improve on this performance than I think there is for Chimizo. Um, and I think Chimizo is going to have a really hard time in any of these matches if he if he's losing, or if he's the one who has to come at him. It's it's just it's just not what he's built for. It's really tough for him to get to legs and finish. Absolutely. So like I said, that was the flow event. Uh, we broke it down in, you know, about 20 minutes or so. Unfortunately, I mean, I think if you look at the file on the Flow Wrestling website for the whole event, it's four hours long. <laughs> so that includes a big break there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we touched on the pacing at the top. Anything just overall or production value you want to touch on before we cut it out? Uh, I'm glad they actually had and followed procedures regarding spread of disease. You know, with, with the ref wearing the uh, the beekeeper mask, uh, and the, you know the the wrestlers not shaking hands with the the ref and the coaches and things like that. Yeah, uh, it I seemed think like that's a better good handled than the the event Chicago was. Absolutely, I'm I'm curious about the referees. Like, I wonder if mm-hmm. I don't really know how it works. If you hire referees or if you have to get the referees through USA Wrestling, because I thought it was odd that they were the only ones who were wearing the masks. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad they were because they're out there on the mat with the guys, but I wonder if that was like an intersection of two different requirements, but I don't yeah, know for sure. Um, I wonder, and I don't know if this is, you know, getting back to the other thing with the accreditation, the having the ref and having the mat chairman and the, you know, the three person right. scoring thing, it makes it really hard to follow for just someone who's watching it. And I think if you're going to have an event, where it's, you know, four entertainment and four viewers, if you could just have one ref and have that be final and go to video review, I think it would help. Um, yeah. I, I kind of getting back to what you said before, I don't know if the wrestlers would go for it because it would be different than what they actually compete under when it matters. But if I was promoting an event, I would consider just having a ref and having that person. It, there's the definitely mix. issues with, like the ref would signal something and something else would go up on the board. And I couldn't tell how much of it was the other officials overruling it. And how much was the the, uh, the the scoreboard operator hitting the wrong thing? Because they, I remember in the first match they had something like they had like they had a seven zero Alvarez. It's like, well, wait, that's not right. And then they brought it back down. 
And then there was the issue with the clock in the, the Dig to Mizo match. So it seemed like maybe they, they weren't completely dialed in with uh, their, their table crew. Yeah, so at the, and there was another point in the, in the Vito Alvarez match where it was five to five and the criteria was Alvarez when Alvarez had, I mean, the criteria was Vito, even though Alvarez, oh, when had, Alvarez had the four. Yeah. yeah. And so, and the commentators mentioned it right away. They were like, well, that's wrong. And it's like, well, aren't you sitting right next to the guy? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the technology and mistakes happen, but uh, yeah, that's the kind of stuff we got to fix if we want to try to make the sport more accessible, which is their goal. All right. Well, Jack, I appreciate you talking to me. Nice to get it in on a Sunday. Hopefully we can uh, get Ed back for the next one. I know he's got a sore throat after doing the live commentary for your Patreon show last night. I'm going to listen to that when I get off here. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. You too.